My friends in the US, when I go on study leave, have this game they play. They ask me to talk like an American. I'm not very good at doing the American accent. If pushed, I can say, awesome. I can speak louder and louder. But that's about the limit of it. Reciprocating, they try and play the game, let's talk like an Australian. At least I think I can talk better like an American than I can talk like an Australian. It's a kind of game we play, it's fun, but there's a serious because our speak with marks our identity and our belonging. And in some parts of the world where you go from village to village or town to town, the accent or dialect is remarkably different and people identify with their town because they speak in a certain kind of way. As you travel home from the US and you kind of almost invariably gather at Los Angeles airport to find this plane home, you suddenly have more Australians around you than you've had ever before in your time in the US and all of a sudden the accent is so loud you realise these are my people. <laughs> you wish you could say these are my people. So I have to ask a question. When you pray, do you talk like a Christian? Do you speak, do you pray with the kind of accent, with the kind of dialect that identifies you as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you pray accidentally, perhaps, like a Buddhist or like an atheist? How, how does it sound to pray like a Christian? How did you learn to pray? Were you ever taught to pray? In many of our churches, public prayers are falling out of fashion. One of the great ways traditionally Christians have learnt to pray is by hearing how others in churches pray. David Bevington is an historian, he's working in Scotland, and he's kind of got a bit of, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, ADSD. He, he kind of is always engaged, his mind is so active. And when he travels to the world, visiting churches, lecturing and preaching, for the last 30 years, he's written down what he's experienced in every church service that he's attended. And he says one of the most remarkable things about that 30 years is how, how infrequently now Christians pray in church. There's some other things he's noted, the change of songs and so on, which are perhaps less consequential. But in his estimation, this has been one of the great evangelical failures in the last 30, perhaps 40 years. So it's as well that we come this morning to think about the Lord's Prayer and that we learn to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I will take us through each of the verses briefly, looking at those particular the particular content in each line, but I also want to step back and ask some big questions about the theological themes of the Lord's Prayer. What does it sound like for a Christian to pray? Well, we address 
our Father in heaven. Though this isn't just a New Testament word, right? In Isaiah 9, 6, uh, Isaiah writes about the everlasting Father. In Exodus 4.23, the people of God, the Hebrews, are known as the Son of God. We have an everlasting Father. We can pray with intimacy as his sons and daughters. And when we address God as our Father in heaven, we very quickly are reminded of his name. Hallowed be your name indeed. And a name in the Bible's terms is not just a form of address. Hi, Reese. Hi, Sally. A name is a precious thing. Remember back to Exodus 3 when God spoke his name. I am who I am. A name reveals something about the character and the purposes of God. And in this prayer... God's name would be hallowed or raised up, honoured, just like Ezekiel described in Ezekiel 36, wishing that the nations would know God's great name. He's certainly our Father in heaven, transcendent, and his name represents his glory. But we pray as well that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom isn't in most of the world. His will isn't being done in most of the world. So we have to pray his people that his kingdom would come, that he would rule amongst his people, indeed that he would rule over all the earth. And significantly, not only is his name to be honoured as But when we do honour his kingdom, it comes to earth. He, as the king, is close to us. This is a wonderful way of Jesus teaching his people to pray. We have to start by getting our eyes off ourselves, right? And so quickly our prayers move to my immediate ministry needs. But we don't hang back sufficiently just to rejoice, to luxuriate in God's name. We pray about our evangelism or our church plant or our ministry or our sicknesses or our organisation. If only we'd take a moment to enjoy God's name who is exalted over all. Indeed, this is such a Christian prayer that in the early church, uh, not anyone was allowed to pray this until they were a member of the fellowship. Only members could pray the Lord's Prayer because only members could recognise God in those terms. Praying generally, praying the Lord's Prayer in particular, shows that we are different from the world. What does it sound like for Christians to pray? Well, bottom line, that we are different from the world. But of course it's okay to pray for our needs. And uh, Jesus teaches us then from verse 11 that that's 
quite okay. We ask that God will give us today our daily bread or perhaps tomorrow our daily bread. You might think it's a, an abrupt transition, exalting God and then praying for a full belly or at least something in your belly, if not a full one. But actually, even at the end of verse 10, we see that we're praying that God's kingdom will come on this earth. So perhaps then praying for our physical lives is a natural consequence. Just like the people of old had been given manna in the wilderness and they only had enough day by day. So God is asking us here to pray for what we need at least for today. It might seem trivial, but we are worthy as God's children to ask. So verse 11, there's provision. Verse 12, there's pardon. Asking God to forgive us as we forgive others. Practicing forgiving others is kind of baseline Christian obedience. There'll be no shortage of people who'll sin against you and me in our lives. So practicing forgiving them is practice for receiving God's great and costly gift as well. It's interesting that in the Lord's Prayer and in the Lord's Supper in Matthew's Gospel, those two occasions when Jesus is asking us to do something repeatedly, a pardon for sins, forgiveness for sins, is at the heart of what Jesus wants us to remember. Surprisingly, of course, in, in an ancient shame culture, the way forgiveness is being talked up. And in verse 13, protection. We're praying for provision and pardon and protection that God would not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one as in this NIV version though uh, the prayer book version is slightly different. We need to be careful because Christians have often presumed that they're safe and they can put themselves in danger's way or harm's way. Like in 1 Corinthians 10, the presumption of the people of God in the stories that Paul recounts and in the Corinthians' life was a severe danger. We can be overconfident and forget that we need God's help, God's protection every day to make it through to uh, glory. Our Christian praying will sound different, make us different from the world, and our Christian praying will remind us of our dependence as well for provision and pardon and protection these are the individual petitions having addressed them briefly but there's something deeper about the Lord's Prayer some very significant undergirding themes which we ought to address as well and we might find that though the petitions give us some of the dialect the themes give us the deep accent. For in this prayer, throughout, and in individual verses more particularly, we're reminded that God has a program. 
the theme of time or timeliness comes to the surface in a number of places in this prayer. For Jesus himself in praying in John 17 uh, knows that the time has come the Father will glorify the Son and the Son will glorify the Father. There's a plan that God has for the world. There's a goal in history and it's the kingdom coming. Indeed, Paul, uh, uh, Jesus takes pictures or themes from the Old Testament story which come to the surface here in this prayer. We don't pray like Hindus. We don't believe that history is cyclical. We pray like Christians. We believe there's a beginning and a middle and an end. There's a purpose and a plan and we're part of it. Though Christians often miss those big plans in their prayers or in their sermons or in their discipleship. I just read uh, a book from my quiet times written by Billy Graham on the Beatitudes called Happiness. Uh, It's a remarkable book. It was a series of sermons that he preached over the years. There's lots to commend it. Amazingly, there was almost no eschatology in in the... exposition of the individual Beatitudes. It was all about me finding fulfilment now, but nothing, it was breathtaking, nothing about God's big plans for a people that is shaped after his character. It's very easy to leave time tabling out of our prayers. So please, in your praying, publicly or privately, make sure you keep injecting into your prayers something of God's plan. And you'll find it's actually motivational for other people to hear and inclusive. People love being part of something bigger. That's why we still go to the stadium and don't just watch the game on TV. And after uh, my sermon this morning, there'll be opportunities for us in twos or threes around to pray. So please keep that in mind as you pray. Position your requests in a broader theological or perhaps eschatological context. In the Lord's Prayer, we're praying that the kingdom would come. We're praying for our daily bread. We're praying for the future and our deliverance. But it's not just the theme of time, there's also the theme of space. Did you notice how often the physical world is addressed in the prayer. Heaven is coming down to earth. The physical and the spiritual overlap. We're to ask for our daily food, our daily bread. Human physical desires are good. And our human physical desires, like asking for our daily bread, can be consecrated, can be sanctified when we bring them to the Lord. We don't pray like Buddhists. Desire is not the root of all evil. Desire is something that we can give to God, well, that God gave to us. We can give back to him that he might use it for our own good and his glory. 
Evangelism and social mercy ministries are not a nil-sum game. You don't have more of one and therefore necessarily less of the other. The physical and the spiritual can overlap. So when you pray, are you recognizing the physical in your prayers? Not just the spiritual dimensions of life, but the physical dimensions of life as well. Do you pray for bodies or governments or environment or daily labor? The Lord's Prayer would suggest that we should. For worship is not escaping the world. Worship is enjoying the world and serving the world and recognizing that the physical can be taken up into God's own great spiritual purposes. One of the big themes here is time. Another of the themes in the Lord's Prayer is space. And the third theme is action. We are asked to pray that God would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For God is active, intervening in lives and situations providentially, turning them to our good. Do you actually pray that God is active and involved? And actually, what happens when we pray, recognizing that God's active and involved in our lives, in our church, in our world, that we find ourselves also becoming agents and active and involved? This prayer is not asking us to be resigned fatalistically to whatever the cosmos serves up. We shouldn't pray like some Christians pray fatalistically or perhaps some kinds of praying in Islam. We don't pray with a mind to fate, but we pray with a mind to our responsibilities to change things, given God's actions to change things. We pray expectantly and even demand things of God. Have you ever noticed in Psalm 51 how David begins, of course, reflecting on his own sin, but then makes, I think, 13 commands of God, asking, do this, do this, wash me, cleanse me, teach me. How bold he is to demand things of God from his position of, you'd imagine, deep repentance. This is not a prayer that we should be persecuted more as if being persecuted is the way of growing up as Christians. This actually is a prayer that reminds us we should pray to escape persecution. Deliver us from those kinds of trials and evil one. In the history of the church, persecution is more often than not divided rather than healed. I've taken us through each of the petitions and outlined something of what they might Uh, say to us but more deeply still are the big themes of the prayer time and space and action which when we've learned will help our praying to be Christian praying Calvin said that a prayer is the chief exercise of faith 
the chief exercise of faith. So by praying this prayer or by praying any prayers, you're learning to pray like a Christian because you're exercising faith in God, Father, Son and Spirit. You're showing faith and exercising faith and growing in faith through the very act of praying as well. We are creatures and not the Creator. And our praying teaches us that and honours God in the doing. Well, when Christians pray this prayer, traditionally we end uh, asking that the kingdom and the glory and the power would be more and more evident in our lives and our churches, a kind of commission from the prayer to go out into the world. In just a few minutes' time, we'll pray that all together. So I ask you, do you sound like a Christian when you pray? The Lord's Prayer teaches us the words and the accent for understanding what it means to sound Christian in your praying as we exercise our dependence on God, our Heavenly Father. Please, brothers and sisters, can I urge you to include in your prayers Lots of references to the plans of God. Lots of references to the value of the physical world. And lots of heartfelt reflection on our place in God's providential leading. Do you talk God's language? Amen. to practice what Reese has been talking about. And I just wanted to pick up a 